Well, good morning. Good to see everybody this morning. Go ahead and turn to Colossians chapter 2. It's page 1179 if you can use the Bible there in the chairs. Uh, we're going to start in verse 6 this morning. We've been uh, looking at this letter that Paul wrote to um, people who are followers of Christ in the town of Colossae. That's what's called Colossians. Um, and he hasn't met these people, but he's writing to them because there's a, a teaching that is creeping into the church there in Colossae and actually into other churches as well. And so he's, he's writing this letter to give them some information um, to keep them, hopefully keep them from accepting this teaching that's coming into uh, the church. And the basic idea is, um, it's an early form of what they call Gnosticism, but uh, what, basically what it is is that, yeah, Jesus is okay, Jesus is good, you know, feel free to, to worship Jesus, to follow Jesus, but he's not enough. There's other things that need to happen. There's other rituals that you need to put into your life. There's, um, there's other uh, beings, I guess you could say, that you need to worship or have a part of your life. <clears throat> and so this is, again, this is Gnostic thinking. Uh, and we talked a little about that in the last several weeks, so I'm not going to get into all that. But there's a basic idea. Jesus is not enough. Uh, there's more that needs to happen for someone to have this relationship with God and also then to grow spiritually, to have the spiritual <clears throat> depth and understanding that the Gnostics say that they have. Now up to this point, Paul's been slamming this teaching uh, pretty hard. <clears throat> this is dangerous teaching. This is going to cause people to be moving away from, from Christ. And so he's been slamming it. He's been telling us about who Jesus is. And so over the last several weeks, we've been talking about that. And specifically last week, we uh, we found, or two weeks ago, we found out that, that he is the image of the invisible. So Jesus Christ is God the Son. And as God the Son, he came to earth, became man. And so he is the image of the invisible. He is the image of God. God is spirit. We can't see him. <clears throat> God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, God the Son became man, was in the flesh. And so he showed us <clears throat> who God is. He we learned about who God is by what He's taught us. He lived out how God would live life. Um, he is the temptation we heard from Hebrews, but He's the image of God. He, and as God, <clears throat> He's the Creator. Uh, Paul tells us that He was the one who created this universe, and then He also created the church, and He is the head of the church. So we answer to Him, we look to Him in God's Word of how the church is to be operating. He's also the creator of this restored relationship that we can have with God, that we're separated from God. God is perfect. God is holy. God is without sin, and we have sin, and we are separated from Him. And then last week we learned that those who have placed their faith in Christ, Paul says that Christ, he doesn't say Christ is in you, he says Christ in you. And then not that we become God, not that we're one day going to have our own universe, as some would teach, not that, but that Christ is in us, that he, he is part of our life, that He is uh, indwelling us. Of course, He does that through God, the Holy Spirit. But that in Him, He has everything we need. He's God. He has everything we need for our spiritual life and living out the spiritual life in this earth. There's obviously nothing more that we need than Jesus Christ and His Word, and then living that out. <clears throat> Next week, we're going to, Paul's going to transition 
and he's transitioning from doctrine and theology to how does that doctrine and theology impact your life. Doctrine and theology is not something, some dead uh, discussion. If, if God is who God says he is, if he truly is that, then that impacts us how we live our lives. And so Paul's going to transition, <clears throat> and we're part of the transition today, and he's going to start talking about how those who have placed their faith in Christ are to live out life. But before he does that, he's giving us a, tra- uh, a contrast this week between what man's teaching is and what Jesus Christ's teaching is, who he is, and basically <clears throat> why we need to make a, a decision. <clears throat> Excuse me. We need to decide as, if, if we're going to call ourselves Christians, if we're going to say we're followers of Jesus Christ, do we want to do and will we do life the way he says to do it? <clears throat> or are we going to incorporate what man says we need to do, which ends up being really our way of doing life. We make the decision <clears throat> in that case. And we'll see from what God has Paul write here that living our way never meets the spiritual desire that we have, the spiritual need that we have, the, the relationship with God, and then living that out, that spiritual satisfaction. We'll be talking more about that towards the end. <clears throat> so the man centered thinking is not just something that was in the first century. That that thinking is creeping into churches today. In fact, it's always been around. It just comes in a different name. Well, hello. <clears throat> Thank you, Vanna. <clears throat> One second. Ah, water tastes better in a Grace Point cup. <clears throat> anyway, get yours at the information center. All right. they're right it's hard to believe but they are correct sadly i've found that to be true myself but we're gonna do a little test this morning now i'm gonna put some statements up and you have to determine whether they are true or false now don't answer out loud okay because if you're wrong, then everyone's going to look at you like, oh, come on, you didn't get that right. You know, just, just in your heart, in your head, you know, just answer true or false. Okay, you ready? <clears throat> First one's this. The Christian faith is founded on three primary calls as we see through Jesus. To love God, to love our neighbor, and to love ourselves. Don't answer true or false. Just say in your head, true <clears throat> or false. All right, next one. Oh, that's it. The Christian faith, sorry. I read the Christian faith. I'm like, that's what the last one said. Anyways, the Christian faith is our way of being faithful to God, but it's not the only way. True or false. Next one. Love of God involves all aspects of life, not just human life. Care of the earth and its ecosystems, an expression of Christian faith and stewardship. True or false. Yeah, don't answer our line. Love of neighbor means extending kindness and care to those in our family and our local and global communities. Includes affirmation of LGBTQ, which actually, I'm taking this directly from someplace. There should have been a plus sign there. They got that wrong. LGBTQ plus community, immigrants, people of other faith communities, and even those who are enemies. True or false? Next one. We cannot properly love others until we come to love ourselves first. True or false? Some of you, no, say don't, don't. <clears throat> don't, don't answer out loud. <clears throat> there will not be a test. On, anyway, I won't be looking at your sheets. 
As a Christian, <clears throat> my goal is become the best, best version of me I can be. True or false? Now, <clears throat> all of these statements are either partially false or completely false based on what Scripture teaches. Now, some of you are going, what? <clears throat> all of these are partially false or completely false <clears throat> based on what Scripture teaches. If we're going to use Scripture and we believe it's inspired by God and we believe that um, we gain our understanding for life, <clears throat> these, these are such that they're false or partially false. Now, these, um, these statements come out of what it's called today, because it's just a different name, progressive Christianity. <clears throat> it was called the Emergent Church uh, back in the early 2000s. Um, it was called liberal theology back in the 50s and 60s. <clears throat> but this teaching is continually out there and it continues to creep into our, our church. And I've even heard some of these things <clears throat> in our church. So it's not like we're somehow immune to it. It comes into our church, it comes into our lives, and we begin to understand and, and believe these things, again, that are contrary to what Jesus actually teaches. Now, part of the problem <clears throat> is that those who uh, push these things and teach these things in the progressive Christian world is that they don't believe that Jesus is God, um, and they also don't believe that the Bible is inspired or inerrant. In other words, um, that it's not without error, that it has error in it. Man has written it. So you can understand that if you think that, then you can take the Bible and make it say whatever you want it to say, and they've chosen to do that. So we're going to see what God has to say this morning, and uh, we're, there's, as we read, there's going to be a spiritual truth that we see, okay? And so the spiritual truth is this, <clears throat> spiritual life and spiritual growth or spiritual depth or spiritual satisfaction or whatever the word is you want to use. I just wrote growth because it's easier for me to spell. Spiritual growth are only found in Jesus, his teachings, and living them out in our lives. All three are necessary for truly going to experience the spiritual life that God has for us, the spiritual satisfaction. God has promised us all three of those things are needed, not just one, two, or but all three. So we're going to take what Paul says this morning. We're going to break it down like we normally do. And I apologize for all the parentheses, but there's a lot in these. I can't get into whole real deep stuff. So if you want, you can grab the, the notes. Um, has a little bit more depth to it. But we're going to start out with these first few verses, six and seven. It says, therefore, because of all that we've just learned about who Jesus is. Now, if you missed the last several weeks, you got to go back and listen to those messages. Or if you're reading Colossians, um, continue reading, but you've already read this. So therefore, as you've received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk or live life in him. Now, the question, don't answer out loud. Just the question is, how did you receive Christ? All right. However you receive Christ, that's how you need to walk in him. Having been firmly rooted, but this is something that's happened when you first received Jesus, and now being built up in him. So at the point that you place your faith in Christ, you are rooted in him. You are secure in him, which we'll talk about. But now as you live life, you are now being built up in him and established in your or the faith. The debate is, is it your or the 
doesn't really matter. It's the basic principles of the gospel, all right? The, the gospel message. Just as you were instructed, so there's script, scripture, and overflowing with gratitude. So what Paul is saying here is the result of obeying God's instruction is that we become more and more like Jesus Christ. We become more confident in who God is and his promises. So we're going to live for him more because we're going to be confident that he's going to follow through on his promises. And that just overflows us to be thankful to God, uh, which again, Paul talks quite a bit about. So, so this life, or we're supposed to live life through faith in Jesus. He says, as you receive Christ, Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. That's the only time Paul's ever used that phrase together. Christ Jesus the Lord, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But he says this, as you've received him, walk in him. As you've received Christ, live your life. So again, the question is, how did we receive Christ? We've received Christ through faith, right, right, through faith. And what we mean by that is that we have entrusted our, the, our, um, our spiritual well-being to God. It's just another way of saying it. I try to come up with different ways of saying it, kind of shock our brains a little bit because we hear the same thing over and over and over again. It becomes, we become apathetic to it, right? So this idea of entrusting oneself into the hands of God, because what's happened is we understand that God is holy, that God is righteous, that God is separate from us, that he is without sin and can't have sin in his presence. And we are sin filled and and we have done wrong. We have disobeyed God. And that sin, what we're going to find out later in this passage, that sin is an infinite amount. And there's nothing we can do. We, we can't shock ourselves. We can't give ourselves spiritual CPR. I, I've never seen a person who needs CPR giving themselves CPR. We can't do it physically. We can't do it spiritually, certainly. And so no matter how much good we think we can do, no matter how nice we think we can be, no matter how many uh, religious rituals that we get involved, traditions that we, no matter how much we do, we can't remove our sin, which by the way, if we're doing those things so that we get heaven, our motivation is selfish. And selfishness is sin. So there's a logical argument why we can't earn our salvation. We can't make sure our salvation is secure. Only Jesus can. And so we place our faith in what God says. God says that God the Son became man, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, not for his sin, but for your sin, your sin and my sin. Got that wrong in the first service too. Your sin and my sin. He took our place. He was our substitute. It makes no sense that God would die for us and then say also, by the way, you need to do something. Because he's the only one who can do that. And there's a point in our time in our lives where we're like, I believe that. I believe I can't save myself, and that God did the work. God the Son, Jesus Christ, died on, my, on the cross on my behalf, and he rose from the dead to secure. And we understand that when he, when he did that, we were forgiven of our sins, and God the Holy Spirit came into our lives, and we were adopted into God's family, and we have eternity secured for us by God. The problem is for... For some Christians, they've, they've made that profession of faith, but then they go on living life to however they wanted to live life. This is what Paul's talking about this morning, warning us about. Because a follower of Christ doesn't just place their faith in Christ for eternity, but they place their faith in Christ for the earth, for their time here 
until they go to heaven. And so just as you've placed your faith in Christ, because you couldn't do anything to secure your salvation, you place your faith in Christ to do life the way he says, because you can't do life without him. Because your way of doing life, my way of doing life, if we, if we do it, we mess things up. And so just like we take God's word for how we're saved, we take God's word for how we're supposed to live. Now next week is going to be a challenge for us because next week he starts lining out these different things that a life that's following Christ is transformed and it looks differently from what they they were prior to Christ. And we're going to have to ask ourselves, do I really believe that? Do I really believe that as as a follower of Christ, that as a husband I should sacrificially Love my wife, especially when she needs it, or maybe especially when she doesn't deserve it. As a Christian, as a, as a wife, do you really believe that you're supposed to respect and encourage your husband, especially when he doesn't deserve it? Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that you're supposed to be sexually pure? Do you really believe that? Do you really believe, parents, that you're supposed to instruct your kids from God's Word and how they're supposed to live life, that it's not the church's responsibility? I mean, we have a responsibility, but it's not the primary. The primary is you, parents. Children, do you really believe that God says obey your parents, even when you don't want to? And it goes on and on. At work, he talks about how Christians are supposed to be at work. You're really supposed to respect that boss who's a real jerk. Everybody knows he is. We all talk about him or her. You know, do we really we're supposed to do that? So next week, next, starting next week, I hope you all come back. <laughs> um, I didn't sell that one very good. <laughs> Nuts. So the faith you place in Jesus for heaven is the same faith you place in him for earth for doing life his way, that his way is the only way. Now, we do this because, he says, we've been firmly planted in Christ. That means to be firmly fixed, to be thoroughly grounded, kind of like taking a plant and putting it into the ground, that at that point of salvation, the point we realized we needed Christ to save us, we place our faith in him, it was as if God, because this is a passive term, he he took us at that point, because it's a perfect tense, and he put us in Christ. He planted us, secured us in Christ. At that moment of salvation, whatever that was, you're fully complete in Christ. You have everything you need to grow spiritually, to find spiritual depth and meaning and purpose because we've been firmly rooted in Christ by God, not by me, not by you, but by God at the point of salvation. And so now that that's happened, a couple of things are to happen in our lives. And he says that one is that we are to be now being built up in him. So spiritual growth occurs as God makes us more like Jesus. This is what he's going to be saying here. Makes us more like Jesus. Again, we don't become God, but become more Christ-like in how we think and how we respond and more confident. This is key. And more confident in God. And what God says. You can't trust God unless you start taking steps of faith and watching that how God says to live life actually works. 
and he blesses. And that comes from being obedient to the instruction. So I'll just kind of summarize what he said here, break it down real quick. So now being built up in him, that word means to build on something that's already been started. It's already been started, right? We place our faith in Christ. We were planted in Christ, fixed to him. And now we begin the process. This is a, a present tense, passive voice. So this is, should encourage all of us. We are not perfect at the point of salvation. And we won't be perfect until we get to heaven. So this is a present tense. This is a lifelong process in which we learn who Christ is, who God is, how he wants us to live, and we take steps of faith to do that. And so we are built up in him. We become more like Christ. We respond more like him over time as we grow based off of God's word. He also says now being established in your or the faith. Again, we had a discussion. It could be your faith or the faith, but whatever the case is, the faith is not just faith. I have faith. It's faith in Christ and salvation through faith in Christ. This means to be established, it means to make a person firm in commitment or strengthen or, or to find confidence that, in who, that God is who he says he is, that God actually fulfills the promises that he gives us in Scripture. But again, we won't know that if we're not instructed first in God's Word, if we're not spending time reading God's Word, if we're not t- uh, taking time studying God's Word, if we're not taking time memorizing God's Word and meditating on God's Word, if we're just kind of thinking about God's Word and how it impacts our lives, if we're not willing to sit and listen to God's Word being taught. And as that happens, we find out more and more about who God is and what God says He'll do. Then we take steps of faith and we see God work. And we become more confident in who God is. We become more confident in our faith in Him. That, yeah, He is a God. In fact, he, we become so confident that we do that and do that and do that. By the time we are, our bodies are done and ready to go to heaven, we're like, yeah, we're going to heaven. Why? Because we've seen a lifetime of God working in our life. And so our confidence grows stronger and stronger. And we get to the end and we're just overflowing with gratitude. Now, this is a, a, this is a humble attitude that recognizes God as the one at work as opposed to the, the teachings of men that we're going to look at, which is wrapped up in arrogance and, and wrapped up in selfishness. So as Christians, we need to, to choose whether we believe that, that have we real, willingly entrusted our spiritual life to Christ in the way he says to do life, or are we going to kind of maybe, well, you know, I'm going to throw in some of my thinking, I'm going to throw in somebody else's thinking, and do life kind of quasi-God's way. Ooh, that's, that's a rhyme right there. Quasi-God's way. I'm going to meme that one. Anyways, so God has Paul warn us to not be taken captive, to be drawn away by, God, by man's reasoning. In other words, don't think you or anyone else knows better than God. So let's look what Paul said. Now this... These, there's a bunch of verses here, so hang with me, okay? You guys awake? Anybody need to get some coffee? Kim's in the back. She'll go grab you some. I'm just, no. I mean, she got me a water, so I'm pretty, you know, I didn't know. All right. So here's what Paul goes on to say. See to it. Watch. Beware. This is emphatic. You know, he's kind of yelling this. It should be in all caps if he was texting it, you know. See to it that no one takes you captive or carries you off like a prisoner of war through philosophy, which is man's wisdom, and empty deception. Those are the lies that lack moral and spiritual 
uh, value. So it's empty. It's nothing, no value there. According to the tradition of men, the, the beliefs that man has passed down through the centuries, according to the elementary principles of the world, in other words, the basic way the world thinks. You know, I love Paul because this is how I usually talk. I say way too many words to get a point across. And he writes a lot of words to get his point across. So rather than, so you don't do all that stuff, rather than according to Christ, in other words, to live life the way Jesus says, why shouldn't we follow man's thinking? For in him, Jesus Christ, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. So now he's, he's kind of going back to the beginning of chapter 2, and taught, or at, uh, midway through chapter 1, pardon me, and kind of summarizing again, he's a fullness of deity, dwells in bodily form. He's 100% God, 100% man. And in him, you, believer, have been made complete. You are fully saved. You are restored by God. You have everything you need for spiritual life, for physical life. We're, we're owned by God. We are his possession, the scripture says. And he is the head, or he is in control over all rule and authority. Jesus is not just one of the many ways to God. Progressive Christianity would say that. He is the way to God. He is God, right? So in him, Jesus Christ, you are also circumcised. I'm not going to explain that. If you need to explain that to your, your spouse or your children or grandchildren, you do that. But basically, this removal of flesh with a circumcision made without hands which is a spiritual work of God. Now, he's going to be talking about some things here that have a physical aspect to them, but that's symbolic. Okay, so circumcision, this is a symbolic removing of our sinful flesh. So in the removal of the body of flesh, so God removed the power of sin, uh, that sin had over us, by the circumcision of Christ. Now, how did that spiritual circumcision happen? Having been buried with him in baptism. Now, this is spiritual baptism. This is not water baptism. We're not saved by circumcision. We're not saved by water baptism. We're saved by a spiritual baptism, being fully immersed in Jesus and his death, in which you were also raised with him, so resurrected to spiritual life uh, for God, to live for God, through faith in the working of God. So fully trusting God when he says, this is what saves us from our sin, who raised him from the dead. So why can only God save us? Because... When you were spiritually dead, prior to coming to Christ, we were spiritually dead. In your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh being controlled by sin, he, speaking of God, not you and me, made you spiritually alive together with him, with Jesus, having forgiven us all of our transgressions. How did he do that? Having canceled out the certificate of death. Now this is like an IOU. That's what he's talking about here. We owe God. We have sinned against God and we have an infinite I owe you to God because of our sin, consisting of decrees against us, so the charges that have been uh, levied against us, which was hostile to us. In other words, the charges are true. We are guilty. And he, God, has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. So God does away with our certificate of debt, our I owe you to him, when we place our faith in Christ, because Jesus Christ paid for us. When he had disarmed or took away the power of the rulers and authorities, speaking of the spirit will, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. So when, when Christ rose from the dead, it was a public display that, that Satan and his demons had no power over those who had placed their faith in him. 
So he has disarmed them. They have no control over us. Go to the next one. Therefore, because spiritual life and growth are in Jesus, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. These, these religious rituals and celebrations that people say, no, you need to do these things to truly be spiritual. Things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So Jesus, in obedience to his teaching, that's what demonstrates our spirituality because we are in Christ. He is the substance. All right? Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize. In other words, making you feel like you're not saved or spiritual enough by delighting in self-abasement. So now this is what, this is, these are people who are professing to be Christ or to be Christians who have placed their faith in Christ. They're professing that. But he's saying, this is how you can tell that their teaching is wrong. By delighting in self-abasement. That means being proud of their religious activity. They're going to let everybody know what they're going through and what they're, they're, the way that they're trying to earn God's favor to be more spiritual. And the worship of angels, which we'll explain, taking his stand on visions he has seen. These, these are beliefs, the way they live their life based off visions they believe they're getting from God, not God's word. Inflated without cause by his fleshly mind. In other words, it's an exaggerated self-perception of themselves. And not, and this is why it's happening, because they're not holding fast to the head. Jesus is the head, right? From whom the entire body, being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments, grows with a growth which is from God. So our spiritual growth is something that God does in us as individuals and together as a church. Paul brings back this idea, we need to be together as a church. It's part of our spiritual growth. If or since you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, died to doing life man's way, why is if you were living in the world, as if you're not a follower of Jesus, do you submit to yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with youth, use in accordance with the commandments and the teachings of men? These are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom and self-made religion, and how man wants to worship, and self-abasement, that self-promoting self-denial, and severe treatment of the body, some even inflicted harm on themselves, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. And so he's saying they're, they're searching for something. They're searching for satisfaction. And it does nothing to give them the satisfaction that they're looking for. And so as Christians, he says, first of all, don't be taken captive by man's reasoning. The captive, uh, captive is a, a sense of being captured, of being taken away moved away from the truth of God's word. He talks about man's philosophy, empty deception, traditions of men, elementary principles. These are all the way man thinks. And you can, you can tell that it's man because the focus will be on man and not on Christ. And so it's how man thinks. It has no value in causing us to have a greater uh, confidence in God. Why? Because the focus is on us. Now, this thinking is not new. It goes back all the way to Genesis 3. Which, by the way, Genesis 3 actually happened. It's not an allegory, which is what progressive Christianity and many others that wouldn't call themselves progressive think that the Old Testament, especially the first part of it, is an allegory, just a story. This actually happened. 
And it goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. And when Adam and Eve heard what Satan had to say and, and said, did God really say? Scripture tells us that Eve looked at the fruit and said, well, you know what? What he's saying is actually pretty good, Satan. And then she took and she gave it to Adam. And Adam took and ate it. And so some of you may be, well, I'm a believer. You know, I, I, I'm a believer. I believe Christ died on the cross for me. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm good this way. Listen, anytime God's word tells us that we're supposed to do something in our life, and we're like, really? Did he say that? Is that really what that means? In our marriages, in our homes, at our works, in our neighbors, with our neighbors, with our, just inside of ourselves, we are doing and responding out of man's philosophy. This isn't something way out there, outside of our church. It's in our own heart. Every time we choose our way over God's, we're choosing man's wisdom over God's wisdom. Paul goes on and he kind of just, just flies right into this description of who Jesus is. I got to fly through this. He says, God the Son, that we are, we are who we are in, he has made us complete. Now that we have everything we need, God has done this for us. We have God, we have his word, we have God the Holy Spirit, we have his spiritual family, the church family. Jesus is head over all rule and authority. He is supreme. He, he, he's the one who takes care of all of the spiritual side of life for us. We don't have to worry about what Satan's going to do, what demons going to do. We don't have to even think about those things because Christ is the head of all of that. He controls that. They listen to him. He circumcised us. And again, a spiritual circumcision. He removed our sinful flesh. He raised us up to new life. We have been resurrected in that sense. We have a new life and we live it for God. Just as Jesus lived it for God. He made us alive together with Christ. He cancels out our sin debt. He forgives us of our sins. And he disarms the rulers and authorities. Again, they have no authority to control us. So then he continues on. And he says, that's kind of man in general. But now let's talk about some religious things. And he says, don't be bullied. That's what that word, don't let them defraud you, means. Don't be bullied by people who are saying, you need to do this religious thing, otherwise you're really not that spiritual. He says, don't allow them to defraud you of your prize. That's someone saying, you're not spiritual enough because you're not doing whatever religious thing that they think needs to be done. He says the, the religious were attempting to find spirituality, to find spiritual depth and growth through rituals, through traditions, through practices. He says they're delighting in self-abasement. They're taking pride in their own spiritual sacrifices. When they get to heaven, they go, look at me. I did this, God. No, when we get to heaven, we're not going to be saying, look at me. Look what I did. We need to be saying, look what Christ did. That's what God's shooting for. It's this worship of angels. Again, they didn't see Jesus as God. They saw him as one of God's messengers, one of God's underlings. And so they felt like God, God, it was maybe too much that we could worship. So we're going to worship his underlings. And so they began to worship angels. 
This is Jewish people, Gentile people, taking his stand on visions and dreams inflated by his fleshly mind. They, they began, and why did they do this? Because they walked away from the head, Christ. They're like, well, yeah, I know we have the Bible, but God also speaks to me in visions. God also speaks to me in dreams. No. No. It says that here. When we start thinking that way, we are moving away from the head, Jesus Christ. There's a reason why we have the Bible. It's so that we will study from God himself what he has. And God the Holy Spirit is the one who gives us his word, gives us understanding of his word, understanding how to apply it and the power to apply it. It's, it's amazing how religious people seem to want to add to what God has already done in Christ. There's nothing more that can be done. Now listen, I'm not saying we don't do any religious things. But we only do the ones that Christ has specifically commanded us to do in Scripture. Because some people will be like, well, Harold, you keep talking about, hey, you know, you got to be reading the Bible, you got to come to church, and you gotta, you know, you're saying that's going to make you more spiritual than, you're, than you must be going against Scripture. No, I'm not, because it's not what I'm saying, it's what the Bible says. The Bible says, God says, we need to be studying His Word. And we need to be memorizing His Word. And we need to be meditating on His Word. We need to know His Word. And we need to be together as a church family. That's commanded in Scripture, that we spend time together as a church family worshiping Him. It's commanded in Scripture that we serve our church family. And it's commanded in Scripture that we share the gospel with people who need it. It's commanded in Scripture that we baptize those by water who have already placed their faith in Christ. And so we do that. It's commanded in Scripture that we celebrate communion. And so we do that. But listen, I've had conversations with some people like, well, do you do communion every week? No, we don't. Oh, well, I think it needs to be done every week. Okay. I'm, I get it. And then they don't come back. Only because we don't do communion every week. Well, Scripture says as often as you do it. And so there's no saying, well, if you do, if you do uh, communion every week, you're more spiritual. That's, and I'm not saying that those people were doing it. I think they just had a desire to do it every week, and we didn't. So they were like, well, I'm going to go find a church that does. That's fine. But the point is, we do the things that we're commanded to do, we don't do it to gain God's favor. We already have his favor because we're in Christ. We do it because we want to have a deeper relationship with him. We want to be obedient to him. And then he finishes out, Paul does. says, man's self-focused teaching never satisfies. If some of you guys came out of religion, you know what I'm talking about. I came out of um, kind of a religious, a legalistic, kind of what he's talking about here. And, and there was never a satisfaction in my life when I felt like I had, I had to do these things, otherwise God wouldn't love me. And when I say that, I'm not saying place my faith in Christ, reading God's word. I'm talking about the peripheral stuff. And in, in my upbringing, the legalism was how you dressed, how short your hair was, whether you went bowling or not, whether you played pool or not. There's a lot of things that Christians who are really Christians, didn't do. And you might even, that sounds weird, right? Well, so is everything else people say that sounds very religious. That's not commanded in Scripture for us to do. I was going to have Jason, I got a cross in my office, kind of a tall one. I was going to have 
Jason walk up during the, the thing, kind of doing that little Irish jig. And then when he plants the cross saying, every week, in order for us to be spiritual, we need to do that. But I didn't do that. I didn't want to do that to Jason. May have Logan do it, but... Um, all right, there's a lot of information here, so I'm just I'm going to wrap this up this morning and just some of our takeaways. So for you to just consider and pray about and ask God, is, it, is there an area in your life where you're following man's or your reasoning? It could be in your marriage, it could be in your family, it could be at your work, it could be something personal within you. Yeah, that's not so bad. Did God really say I can't do those things? You know, did God really say I have to do this? It probably came to mind while we were talking about it today. And secondly, are you in God's word so that he can grow you to be more like Jesus and help you gain confidence in him? Boy, the number of Christians who I've met over the years are just not confident in who God is. I'm not really sure I can do that. I'm not sure... I'm not sure if God really loves I'm not sure if I'm really saved. I mean, there's a lot of people, why? Because they're not in God's word, learning about who he is, and then they're not taking steps of faith to see him at work in their life. God wants to give you that confidence. You just need to do it his way. And you'll grow in that confidence in who he is. Spiritual life and spiritual growth are only found in Jesus, his teachings, and living them out in our lives. Nothing more and nothing less than that, but a relationship based off of his word in obedience. Let's go ahead and stand and we'll close in prayer.